0: This time, I'd like to invite my friend Doug to come up and to read our scripture. Now, Doug has been a friend of mine since we were in second grade. So he is the guy, my oldest living friend, I would say, and uh, weird way to say that, isn't it? But uh, uh, you stand over here, you talking to that one, because, yeah, all right. So, and I asked him if he'd read our scripture for us. Doug, uh, Doug's dad was the pastor of the church that I grew up in, and uh, um, and uh, man, we have a lot of miles together. Yeah. And we're going to have some more, have more miles together, <laughs> because in a couple of weeks, Doug and I are going to be riding to Mexico. Oh, he's been training in Ohio. Can you imagine that? He's been trying his best, but uh, so he's going to be riding with me to Mexico. And uh, Doug's been a pastor uh, in Ohio, um, and. Uh, um, and he's going to read our scripture for us. And, Doug, we talked about one thing, but I want you to wait, and we'll talk about that part okay. of it after you do your scripture reading. So go okay. ahead.
1: All right. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You can find it in your own Bible, or you can find it on the back side of your message notes. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we read together. or stand for the reading of God's word. until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Well, Steve gave me this this morning, and he said, hey, by the way, I'd like you to read the scripture. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, man, you know, this is a passage that has been so important to me and resonates with me, and I've preached about it a number of times. My wife and I uh, did not have children of our own, and we considered what the Lord would want us to do and decided that we would adopt children. And we thought there are so many people who want infant children, we will adopt children that are older. And so we took in, a, at the time they came, a, a nine and a seven-year-old into our house. And two years later, they became available for adoption. And so we adopted a nine and an 11-year-old. Um, you know, they had a very difficult past, obviously, and had experienced everything bad that could happen to a young child. And, uh, and in the process of that, there were interesting conversations. They were old enough to know that they were being adopted. And they were old enough to actually have some say-so in whether they would be adopted. And Ron and I had an important decision. They came as foster children, and then they became available for adoption. So it was quite a decision to make about whether we would adopt or not. And so, this passage, when it talks to us about He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, I mean, God decided that instead of throwing us away, instead of giving up on us, God decided that He would send His Son and make a way that we could return to His family. And I think about my kids, and, and though they have such a difficult background, You know, we were able to make a decision to invite them to be a part of a family. And I'd love to come here this morning and tell you that it's all been a storybook and everything turned out perfectly, and it it hasn't. You know, it hasn't all gone just the way I hoped that it would. Um, One of the reasons I just arrived yesterday is that my daughter just had her sixth child on Wednesday. And under difficult circumstances... Now, it's a blessing to be there, and we have a new grandchild, Ezra Jordan, who has entered the world as of Wednesday, and he is beautiful, and God has a purpose for him, and as I held him in my arms as a five-pound baby, you know, I, I love him, and I so am concerned about his future and what his life will be. And I think about, as I think about my children, and all of you that are parents can relate with the fact that there are great joys that come with having children, and there are great challenges that come with having children. But I think about as an adoptive father, and now a grandfather seven times actually, um, what it means to God to watch our lives And the times that he so longs for us to do things differently, or the times he rejoices in our successes, but I'm so thankful that he chose to adopt me, and that he has not given up on me. And I love my son and my daughter. I continue to go through challenges, you know, in trying to be the best father I can be to them. But I'm so thankful for my family, and so thankful that God has invited me to be part of his. And it's good to be here instead of in Ohio right now, (laughs) and enjoying being with this church family. My wife has sent me pictures this morning, and it's quite a contrast in Ohio, so it's good to be here with you this morning.
0: I should have just had you preach the whole thing, Doug. Doug's a good man. We've known each other for a long time, and uh, we all seek for and long for significance to know that we matter. And the thing that really answers the ultimate question of our lives is that God has chosen us and selected us and adopted us into His. Family, and if that can weave its way deep into the innermost parts of our psyche, we won't go grasping at for significance in other places. We can enjoy our family, we can enjoy our job, we can enjoy our our, uh, uh, our 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 passions. We can enjoy all those things without being entirely ruled or defined by them, because we're ruled and defined by the fact that I belong to God because He has chosen me. The question of significance: Do I really matter? Yes, I matter because God has chosen me to be a part of his family. And the reality too is the second thing we looked at. Is we all have this sense of there's a, a, a right thing I ought to do and, and I, I can't seem to find myself doing the things I want to be How do I deal with my shame? The question of shame. The first was the question of significance. The second is the question of shame. How do I deal with my shame? How do I deal with my sin? What's the matter with me? And indeed, what's wrong with this whole world? Why can't we all just get along with one another? Well, because we have this inner part of ourselves that tends to do the thing we don't want to, we know we ought not to do. We, uh, we want the world to kind of revolve around us. We want our own uh, uh, agenda, not someone else's. So how do you deal with your shame? Well, sometimes we, we blame our shame on someone else. It's her fault. It's his fault. You know, as Adam said, it's to God, it's her fault. She gave me the fruit. We've been doing we blame our shame. Or we maybe secondly rationalize our shame. We we figure, well, it's all because it's not really my fault because of all these other things that have happened in life. Or often we will anesthetize our shame. We try to Find something to make us forget about it, if only for a little while. And this word, substance abuse, very often begins to take its place. It gives me just a few hours, a few moments, a few seconds of relief, perhaps. But it, makes, it sets me free from my shame and the pain of my shame. And, uh, of course, it, it usually creates more problems than, than, than we think. And, but a fourth way we we'll often deal with our shame is we try to do penance for our shame. Uh, We we try to pay for it in some kind of way to do something to make up for our shame. And none of these are adequate, but the full adequacy of how to deal with my shame, I find it in God's forgiveness. I find it in God's full forgiveness for my sin. And that's what verses 7 and 8 talk about. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God has freely lavished upon us forgiveness. Now you like to lavish the, the toppings on your ice cream perhaps or lavish the top on, lavish the whipped cream on your pumpkin pie perhaps. You pour it on. But God is saying, I love to lavish forgiveness on you. Think about that. How many times have you offered forgiveness to someone and say, I'm so glad I can give you forgiveness for messing up so badly. We don't, especially when it's against us. But God lavishes upon us His for his forgiveness, he he lavished upon us the the grace of his forgiveness, and so there are, those are two of the questions. And now let's talk about the third and the fourth one that come up in this opening doxology to the letter to the Ephesians. To back up just a moment. Paul begins with this letter with a with a very long and extended uh, paragraph. In fact, the whole section which Doug read for you today, the whole section in the Greek is one sentence. I tried to, to read it as one sentence. You just can't, you can't hardly even make sense of it because we don't speak Greek. But in the fr- original language, it was all one sentence. Paul is just lavishing platitude upon platitude. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and then he goes through the litany of god 's blessings and so we get then now to this uh, to the, to the third question, the question of meaning: what is life all about? What is the purpose of human history, and what is my place in it? Uh, And what are some of the secular answers to that question? What are the ways we think of, what is the purpose of history? Is there any purpose in history? Does, is, is life simply a random happenstance series of events that just happens towards some kind of oblivion that doesn't amount to anything? Is that what the purpose of history is? Where do we find meaning in our lives? Uh, Human beings crave meaning. We crave meaning. In fact, uh, uh, my friend Doug woke up today and he'd had a dream. I want to know what that dream means. Why? We just can't help but ask, what does it mean when we have something going on in our life? How do we find meaning? Well, a lot of people find meaning in philosophical systems. For example, just to give a few brief ones, polytheism. Polytheism in the, in, the, in the earliest days, the earliest days when the monotheistic faith in one God who ruled over all the earth um, happened, emerged because, because God revealed Himself to Abram. When God revealed Himself, um, that was in the context of a polytheistic culture where people saw gods everywhere, and basically polytheism would have said the, the purpose of humanity is to pacify the gods, so we're making sacrifices. In order to pacify the gods. Or perhaps as we've grown, we found ourselves embracing naturalism, which says basically the world began as an accident. There's no, divine, there's no divine presence outside of this world. Everything that happens is part of a machinistic, uh, machinistic uh, sequence of events. And so the, the very question, is there any meaning, is a silly question. We just happen to be alive and we're going to die someday. And we have some sense to propagate the species. There is no ultimate meaning in life. And of course, a lot of us, uh, a lot of people in this world believe that really ultimately. Or existentialism, which might say, create your own purpose. Just the, the meaning is found in the choice, just making the choice, a bold choice. That's your meaning, You're creating meaning. Or in pantheism, which is very popular today, where we worship the world around us. We're called to honor the world, but we're not called to worship the world. The world you even heard me say, and I quote G.K. Chesterton when I say it, the world is my sister, not my mother. The world is not your mother. The world is your sister. Care for it. Cherish it. Don't abuse it. Be careful for it. Okay? Uh, But in pantheism, the world, we're just all one with the the oneness of the whole world. We're we're one with the whole universe. We just become one with the eternal uh, nothingness that is this world. Philosophy doesn't give you a lot of good answers to meaning questions. Or perhaps we seek it in pleasure uh, we find meaning by being the best at something, whether it's sports or or we find it in entertainment or even sexual expression. Anything that feels good gives me a sense of transcendence. Uh, one of the things that happens for me as I've trained for this bicycle ride, and my friend has experienced it as well, you can find a, a sense of, of joy that comes as your body begins to respond in new ways and, and is able to accomplish things that it otherwise could not have accomplished. We can find pleasure even in our in our, in our, uh, uh, in our sporting endeavors, but the scriptures teach us that we find our ultimate purpose in Jesus Christ. What is the purpose for creation? Look, Doug read it for you so excellently in verses uh, nine, and, 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan For the fullness of time. Now, before we finish the sentence, you see how specific Paul is being? He's saying words that speak of a definite purpose, a definite plan, and a will. You read someone's will, it's what they want to see done. So he's saying, according as making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, and here it is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That may seem a little bit like, I don't get it. What it really means is that God is someday going to bring all of heaven, earth, all and earth together? He's going to bring. He's going to. He's going to bring all of the yuckiness of our lives, the the bad things, the things over which there is no explanation. He's going to bring back together what was broken by human sin in the earliest days in the garden when humanity said to God, "Thanks for the world, God, and now we'll take care and run it on our own." And we've made a mess of it. And God someday through Jesus Christ has already accomplished this and it will be have happen- when God will reunite heaven and earth and he will remake new heavens and a new earth. And on that place there will be no, no sorrow, no, no tear, no injustice left un, uncared for. And there will be unity and harmony and God will live among us on a remade worth. God has made known to us the mystery of his will that someday God will make everything add up under Jesus Christ. He will take all of the unanswered questions and all of us have lived long enough. To have a lot of unanswered questions, and we get really angry when people give us flippant and superficial answers to the problems that have come to us in our lives. We think, no, I can't believe in a God who would do that. And you think that's the explanation. Ultimately, God will make everything add up in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will live together with God. That's God's purpose for creation. He will renew creation. This beautiful but broken and now rescued creation through Jesus will ultimately be restored and renewed, and God will unite all things together under Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of our lives. And then the question about God's purpose in my life. It is for the Lordship of Christ to be expressed in my life. As I often like to say, ultimately our purpose is to say, Lord, I would like for you to be honored in all that I say or do. Have I got a joy? I want to honor you through that joy. Have I got a sorrow? I want to honor you through that sorrow. Have I got a question? I want to honor you in that question. Have I got a job to do? I want to honor you in that job. Have I got a marriage to be a part of, a parent, a child to raise? I want to honor you in every aspect of my life. I want to honor life, honor Christ, as the Apostle Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, For to me to live, is Christ. Honoring Christ. And in verse 11 of this section, he talks about it in our setting as well. In him, that is Christ. We have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who were the first to hope in his Christ might be to the praise of his glory, that we might live in a way that glorifies and honors God. Yes, the question of meaning, what is life about? Life is not about grabbing all the toys you can get so you can have them buried with you. But rather, life is about, uh, about honoring Christ in every situation, knowing that ultimately God's plan for the whole universe is to bring everything together under Christ lordship, Jesus Christ's lordship. And in advance of that, he's bringing that together in my own life. I want to live to honor Christ. Well, let's take a look at the fourth of these questions that are part of this doxology. And that is the question of mortality. We've talked about the question of significance. I'm adopted and chosen by God. We've talked about the question of shame. I've been forgiven because of Jesus' blood. And died for me. We've talked about the question of meaning. I find my meaning in my relationship with Christ and living to honor the one who loved and gave himself for me is my ultimate purpose in life. That's one purpose that cannot be taken from you. Your health you may lose. Your family you may lose. Anything can be taken away from you. But what cannot be taken away from you is the ability to honor Christ in every situation. That's your ultimate purpose. And that's what you'll be doing for the rest of eternity. You might as well start doing it now and your life will be so much better as a result. That was the third one, the question of meaning. And the fourth one, the question of mortality. What happens when I die? Is this life all there is? Is death the end? Is, is the clinging to some kind of idea of an afterlife, just sort of some prehistoric urge we still have? We all know we just die and that's the end. But why is it that we cling to the sense of a future beyond the grave? How do I think about the future? This is a fundamental life question. Yeah. What are some of the contemporary answers to that question? I suggest to you about three or four. Number one, we could call the one answer to that question, the question of, the, is this life all there is? The answer to the question what might be called, what, the no, what I call the no hope option. In fact, it would say, this life is all that there is. Enjoy it while you can, because when it's gone, it's done. You're going to rot in the grave, just like trees rot when you put them down in the ground. Is this, life, this, is this life all that there is? And this is really the answer of naturalism. It would say, yes, of secularism, it is. That's all that it is. It's all that it is. Or even existentialism, or especially atheism. These are uh, uh, points of view which say there's nothing more than just this life. Yeah. That's the no hope option. There are other points of view, religious points of view, that we might call it the the endless circle option. The endless circle option. And I'm not an expert in all these things, and so I don't want to pretend to be, but just to give you a sense of it, this is the idea of life as an eternal Meaningless, endless circle. This is the answer of many of the Eastern religions, Hinduism especially, and pantheism, life going on in circle and circle. And so the goal of life is sort of enter that circle to become a nameless drop in the spirit of the universe and to achieve nirvana, which really means you know what that means, nothingness. Good news, that's what you're gonna be. Nothingness. That's the endless circle. Life is an eternal, meaningless, endless circle. Now, most humans cannot live with either of those options in their minds, the no hope option or the endless circle option. And so we often choose what I think of as simply what I call the wishful thinking option, the wishful thinking. This often occurs when irreligious people encounter death. Yeah. When we just sort of say, well, you know, there were the angels, there up in heaven, they're whatever. They're, we just have this sort of sense of, I want it to be so, and so it must be so. You know, one time I did a funeral for a, a, some years ago for someone, that, and they had me read the, the Rainbow Bridge poem. And I do funerals for all. I try to be very respectful, and I really mean that sincerely. I, it's my honor as a minister of the gospel to serve every family in their time of need and uh, to be respectful from where they come from. That's important to me. So don't mean this in a disparaging way, but, but simply as by example, I read a poem for the family called The Rainbow Bridge Poem, which is a poem about my dead animals waiting for me on the other side on the rainbow bridge rejoining me when I get over there. Now, I don't know. That might be true. That might be true. I don't, I, I'm not trying, forgive me, I know, I'm, this is Cave Creek, we love animals, we have animals here. But this is sort of a sense of, well, you know, and they're with the, all oh, this just, it's not grounded in any, it's not, there's no foundation to the belief other than simply I wish it were to be so. There's no anchoring to that belief, right? No anchoring. And so I call it the wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we say, well, he's in a better place, he's with the angels now, and, uh, you know, they wanted to see so-and-so, and and hang out with so-and-so, and And we have all these, but the question that a thinking person has to ask, not when they're dealing with death itself, but when they're thinking about death, is is this question, is there any anchoring to the hope of a life after death? Is there any place you can fix Uh, fix your hope on is there any uh, solid rock upon which you can stand which says yes there is life after death i know it i believe it i'm convinced of it i don't think it's just wishful thinking about the future but I'm, i'm clinging on to something is there any reasonable hope for life after death to my way of thinking no There is no reason to think anybody lives after they die unless, unless you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Outside of that, I believe it would be appropriate for us to simply have a naturalistic explanation for the universe. But thank God. When we gather for worship, we gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what birthed the church in the first place. When Jesus died on that cross for all intents and purposes, everybody thought the whole thing was over. It was done. The disciples were in hiding, right? Right? Remember, uh, the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, they said, they said uh, while they're walking along, they, they encounter the resurrected Jesus, but they don't know it's him. And he said, what are you guys talking about? And he said, they say to him, uh, they say to him, where have you been? Haven't you heard what's been going on? There was this man named Jesus. He did many signs and, and wonders, and we had hoped. That's in there, Luke 24. We had hoped that he was the promised Messiah, but they killed him. And now there's these rumors going on that he's alive. And then Jesus, who is as yet invisible to them, they don't recognize who he is. He says, you foolish people, let me explain to you the story of the Bible, the way you should have understood it, that the Messiah had to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. They showed them through Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, the hints that were always there. And of course, he started, they came to their home and he began to walk on by and the two people, one's name was Clopas, said, the other may have been his wife, one of the others not named. Would you stay and have bread with us? Would you stay and eat with us? And so he says, okay, I'll stop and eat. And so they sit down, reclining at the table as they did in those days, and Jesus took the bread and broke it. And immediately their eyes were opened. He was gone. And they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us? while well, he opened the scriptures to us. He encountered the resurrected Jesus along the side of the road. And their hearts burned while he explained the scriptures. I hope that happens once in a while in our church. Something happens in your heart while the scriptures are explained. And then when he broke the bread, which was symbolic of the bread, which we will break right now in the, as we close our time together, that somehow we experience the resurrected Christ You see, we have the Christian hope option. We don't have to engage in the no hope option or the endless circle option or the wistful thinking option. We can engage in the Christian hope option, which is that the Jesus who died on Good Friday was raised up from the dead, and for a month and a half, was seen by witnesses up to 500 at a time. And the belief in the resurrection was what gave to that early Christian community the willingness to go forward and even die for their faith because they had a hope which went beyond the grave and the church spread like wildfire because of the death And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a certainty of our hope which has been given to us. As it says in verses 13 and 14. In Jesus Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. According to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might live for his glory. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. The gospel of your salvation and believed in Him were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Yes, because of the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel of that salvation, as we respond in faith to that, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit who is like an engagement ring on our fingers, which says, I belong to him. He's with me. He's like the deposit on the house, the earnest deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance until the final day when God remakes this world. And after our death as well, unless we're alive when he comes, we will live together with the resurrected Jesus on a world which has no decay. A world where death is no longer a part of it. A world where there is no sickness, sin, or sorrow. And we know it because Jesus was raised from the dead. Yes, all of this, he says, is to the praise of his glory. We can rejoice in the praise of his glory throughout this text because God took the initiative, first of all, to choose us and to adopt us into his family. We belong to him. God took the initiative to redeem us and forgive us. He did that through the death of his son. God took the initiative to set out his plan for the earth. He will not let the earth go on its own demise. He will accomplish his will to the praise of his glory. God took the initiative to bring hope out of the apparent hopelessness of our lives. He chose me. He adopted me. He redeemed me. He forgave me. He gave me a purpose worth living for and something even to die for because I know that this life is not the end of everything. Truly, as this text begins, Jesus has God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But we have to respond to it. We have to respond to it. How do we make this a reality in our lives? Well, the apostle Paul told us in the 13th verse, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, you have heard the word of truth. You have heard the gospel. Do you believe in him? Have you placed your utter confidence in him? Resting in him, not your good deeds to do penance for your sin, but rather his sacrifice, forgiveness of redemption for you. We trust in him, place your faith in him. We see then the Holy Spirit then comes into our lives and rebirths us into his new creation. And we become part of his family until the final day when we live on that new heavens and new earth. Yes, the Christian message gives to us something solid to deal with the question of our significance. I'm significant because Jesus chose me and adopted me. Deals with something positive, a linchpin, an anchor point to deal with my shame. I can accept the reality of my misdeeds. Uh, I don't have to blame someone else, to do penance for my own sins, or, or rationalize them away, or anesthetize them. I don't have to do any of that because Jesus Christ gave his blood for the redemption of forgiveness of my sins. I, that's a linchpin to hang on to. And even though it seems as though much in this world does not quite add up, I don't have to figure everything out because I know that God is in the process of ultimately figuring everything out. And someday God will unite all things together in Christ Jesus. And I want to be part of that community now in advance of that. I don't have to have all the answers because I know the one who ultimately has the answer. And when I face my own mortality, I don't have to engage in simple wishful thinking and hopefulness, making up stuff. I can base it in the reality of the resurrected Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me and was raised from the dead and will, in fact, give to me new life as I respond in him. I've heard that truth. I've heard the gospel of my salvation. Now I believe in him, and I ask the Holy Spirit to give me a new birth by trusting in him. As we close our time together, perhaps that's the prayer that you want to pray today. That's our prayer as we close. Lord Jesus Christ, no wonder the apostle Paul was excited. This beautiful doxology, this beautiful hymn of praise deals with the fundamental questions of our lives. Things we wrestle with every day. Help us to lay aside all the other half-solutions and half-measures to deal with our significance or our shame or our quest for meaning or our fear of our own mortality. And let us instead embrace the solid rock foundation of a God who chose me, adopted me, and forgives me and has a meaningfulness for my life that will go even beyond my own mortality. I hear the word of truth, the gospel of my salvation. I believe in Jesus Christ. I ask the Holy Spirit to come into my life. Give to me all these blessed gifts. I ask it in Jesus' name, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.